Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. So we are in Advent, um, as you guys know, and as a church, what we do is we loosely, I would say, stick to the liturgy of what the church has been doing for hundreds of years in lighting these candles and reminding ourselves of these truths that, um, that I think really give meaning and substance to what we celebrate as Christmas. That for me, growing up as Christmas, it was like Christmas Day was the day that you celebrate, and it was presents, and kind of that was it. You know, like we knew about baby Jesus, but that was pretty much all that I, like, I really knew about. But then seeing this liturgy and this like practice of lighting these candles and teaching about these themes leading into Christmas gives it such depth. And it reminds me of what we celebrate when we celebrate baby Jesus, right? It's almost become a joke in our culture of like baby Jesus, eight pounds, seven ounces, you know, like it's like it's, it's joked about in movies and different things, but it's serious. For us as Christians, this is God coming to earth to show us how to live life the best possible way. It's God with us demonstrating that he loves us and cares for us and wants to demonstrate this life to the full. And so we light these candles. And the first one, I'm going to have uh, Micah come up and light these. Uh, But the first one is the candle of hope, which we spoke about last week, which I wasn't here for. Uh, So you want to go ahead and light that one. Um, One of the beautiful things is that the candle of hope is the candle that burns the longest, right? Because we keep lighting it, and it goes all the way through to Christmas. Um, And hope is the thing that we cling to as the thing that um, gives us not only a hope for the future, but a hope for transformation here and now. And then today, we light the candle of peace. So thank you for lighting that one. Pick one, yeah. Um, And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to kind of unpack it and begin to see what this theme of peace is all about. And maybe some of you um, are in need of some peace. Maybe this is a chaotic season. It's kind of uh, intense. Um, But this theme of peace, I think, comes timely all the time. Because I think we, we have seasons where life is really good, and we're on the top of the roller coaster ride, and there's times where we drop down to the bottom, and it's challenging, it's difficulty, it's difficult in relationships and all kinds of stuff. And, um, and so peace is one of those things that we need continually. Um, so Peyton, last week, I know he spoke about some of that pain and suffering that I just mentioned, and that challenge in relationships or in our lives, um, and spoke about how hope begins to transform how we view those situations. He used a beautiful quote from you too that I would encourage you to go back and listen to, um, which is really great. And um, so I'm not going to go into it right now, but go and listen to it if you haven't. And, um, but then this week, we're going to talk about how do we gain peace and then how do we become peacemakers, right? Because it's not just about peace for us, but it's meant to be a peace that is meant to be a message that goes out to everyone, right? The season is not just for us. It's meant to be something that transforms our community, our world. And so let's talk about it. So in the book of Isaiah is the first little passage I'm going to read here. Um, We see Isaiah uh, prophesy and talk about the heart of God. And when we talk about Christmas and we talk about Jesus and what he's doing, we talk about 
God coming to earth to represent the heart of God, right? To demonstrate it physically so we can see it. We can have a tangible, like real life, blood, sweat, and tears kind of version of really what the message of God is all about. And Isaiah prophesies about this 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene, right? And this is a passage I want to show you that is commonly read during uh, this season. It will be in your Advent guide, which... Um, did, raise your hand if you got one of the boxes, the candle boxes that we've been giving out. So we're all lighting candles during the week, okay? Um, if you need a box, you can grab them in the back. They're on the table. There's tons of them. we got plenty of them. If you have a box from last year or the year before, we have candles back there, refill. You can just grab a bunch of candles, take them with you, refill your box, light the candles. Um, but we light these candles um, every night around the table or every morning, whatever you want to do by yourself, with your family, with the kids, whatever. But it tells the story of what Jesus is about. And this is one of the passages that really points to it. It says, He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. Talking about this coming Messiah, this Jesus that is going to come. And it goes on and says, They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Speaking directly to the challenge of war, of division, of chaos, what he says, what Jesus is going to do, what he's going to bring, what he's ushering in is this kind of peace that goes from taking swords to plowshares. Does anybody know what a plowshare is? So a plowshare is that wedge-like thing that is plowed or pulled behind um, cattle, steer, oxen, whatever, to plow a garden, a field, um, to grow crops, right? And so this visual that we see here is a tool, a sword, a tool that is used for violence that is meant to cut, to divide, to create division between people, to create pain, suffering, sorrow, right? Turned into what? A plowshare, something that's meant to bring life. A plowshare that's meant to be used for gardening, that begins to plant seeds, till the soil in order to produce life. And so what we see here is this picture of gardening, okay? Do we have any gardeners in here? Anybody Still gardening through the winter, like full dedicated, committed. We got a couple of people. Um, some of us just like grab some like pre-grown seedlings from whatever um, Home Depot in the middle of summer and go like, I want some tomatoes. It's like me. Um, and then there's some of you that are like, no, I, I plan and my garden is dialed in and I know where everything is going to go and I know how to plant in summer and in winter so that I have fruit and I have veggies and I have things going on. This is the visual that we see Isaiah give us of what Jesus is ushering in, a garden, right? And many of you have been in a garden that's got fruit trees. My brother is like, he's a freak when it comes to gardening. Like he's got layers upon layers when it comes to gardening. Like he could eat off that thing solely year long. I'm pretty sure he could just thrive off of it. But he's got like everything going on. He's got greenhouse for when it gets cold and all kinds of stuff. And so this idea of a garden is life-giving, right? It's meant to be tasty. It's meant to bring sustenance to our bodies. It's meant to bring warmth. It's meant to bring life to the full. So this visual that we see Isaiah bring us is 
life. Not swords, which bring destruction, pain, right? And so this picture of this garden, these tools of war intentionally being transformed into tools for gardening, um, tools that divide and transform uh, are being transformed into tools that unite and bring life. And so I want you to carry this visual of a garden that brings life, this visual of uh, plowshares, things that are tools that are being used to bring life and create life um, as a way to think of what Jesus is ushering in as we talk about peace. So peace is not easy to maintain. Amen? Said everyone who has kids <laughs> um, or any kind of significant relationship in your life. Um, it's not easy always, right? There's challenge, there's difficult at times where uh, we butt heads and we have difference of opinion, we have decisions that we think are the best decision there is, and everyone else's decision is wrong, right? Um, peace is, is not always easy to come by. Um, we were going we're gonna to face challenges. But Paul understood, the writer of a lot of the New Testament letters, understood and wrote a lot about peace. And so I want to show you a couple of verses that he wrote to churches to help them understand how to gain peace and how to begin to live into this idea of peace within a time of turmoil, of challenge, of difficulty, right? Um, I hope that this, this has meaning, this has um, some depth to it that begins to give you some tools to begin to, I think, navigate those seasons of anti-peace? <laughs> What's a good word for anti-peace? <laughs> uh, conflict, there you go. Um, because we're going to have times of conflict. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I'm in the middle of it and I want to hear it and I want to learn more about it. Uh, but maybe you're like, no, nah, life's generally pretty peaceful for me. Um, just wait. There will be time. Uh, <laughs> that's the message of Christmas. Um, but Paul talks about it and he says in Colossians, and he talks about really this intentional way of living life that allows peace to enter in. And here's what he says. It's so simple. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule. Let it take over. Let it take root. Let it be the thing that rules your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. I like that this is like tags on this little like gratitude thing. Like when you have a posture of gratitude, something takes place that begins to transform your sense of contentment, right? If you're constantly thankful for everything you have, even though you have very little, your gratitude's going to go up, right? Like your, your, your awareness of what's going on is going to lean towards peace, contentment, satisfaction, because you're like, hey, I actually have a lot. And so I think that one little tagline, and be thankful, speaks a lot to it. But the first word that we see here is let. And I think there's a decision that has to be made where we let God begin to permeate our lives. And that may seem like a very simple, like basic one line little sentence there. But I think letting God is the biggest challenge I know that I personally have. Maybe you're in the same boat. But letting God be the sole thing that drives what I do throughout the day. I'm not even talking about all of life. I'm just talking about today, right? That if I let God dictate my joy, let God remind me of what it means to be content, 
it's going to change my peace. It's going to change my, my posture, my attitude, because I'm letting him dictate my life rather than letting my desires dictate life. When I let my desires dictate life, I want a lot. Amen? Anybody else want a lot, especially in this season when we talk about Christmas, we want and we're like, there's sales and I could get it on you know, 50% off right now, so I want that and I should probably get it because it's probably not going to be on sale next year. Yada, yada, yada. It goes on forever, right? But that want, that desire will never satisfy. What Paul tells us is that he says, when you let the peace of Christ, when you let Christ rule life, this is so simple, but it's so profound. When you let him rule life, there will be peace, right? There will be a sense of peace that like, yeah, God is really big and powerful and capable of handling this complex situation that I'm dealing with or this want that I have that doesn't ever go away or this desire or this conflict that I'm facing right now. God is bigger than all of that, and he wants to step into there and speak into it. So to let God do this, it requires a posture. It requires an intentionality. The phrase I want to say is you have to begin to allow Jesus to train your life to be dependent on him versus other things, versus your own desires. And so train to live comfortably in a world we don't think we are made for. So I say that because I think we have to continually train our minds and our hearts to desire Jesus because the world that we live in will never tell you that you are to be content and satisfied. The world around us will continually tell us, no, you need this. You have to have this in order to be content and happy. You need to do this in order to be right in your relationships with other people. You need blah, blah, blah. The list will go forever. But there has to be a training that takes place where we allow Jesus to be the thing that, again, that first word, that three-letter word, let him be the guide of our lives, right? And so I want to give you guys kind of a visual of this, and I've used this analogy before, but um, freediving for me, um, I've, I've done a lot of spearfishing and freediving. I've talked to you guys about this before. Um, but freediving is one of those things where I have to train myself to be comfortable in an environment where I'm normally not comfortable, right? We have to train ourselves in life to be comfortable in a world that tells you not to be comfortable or ever content unless you have blank, right? So we have to train ourselves. And for freediving, I have to train myself in order to be comfortable. Some of you, when you see this clip that I'm going to show you, this is my friend Nathan Minata that is a very talented freediver, um, spear fisherman that I spend a lot of time with, and he's also a videographer, and so I just stole one of his clips to throw in there. But um, he has this beautiful ability to be extremely comfortable at really deep depths in the ocean and completely comfortable doing that. Did the clip not work? So, oh, is it good? Yeah, go ahead and just play it while I'm talking um, without sound. I don't think there's sound on there, but... Um, Freediving and being underwater, for some of you, when you see this, you're like, that's scary, and I would immediately freak out, right? Um, and I, I've, I know I've used this analogy before, but like, as you begin to train yourself to dive 
deeper and deeper and to be comfortable in the ocean in in an environment that many people would say is scary. There's sharks. There's things that want to eat you. Um, It takes a lot of training to do that. But so my buddy Nathan looks completely relaxed there, right? When seven years ago, I could not even like break the surface from there. I would be like, yeah, 10 feet down and I'm going back up because I'm panicked and freaked out and I don't know if I can hold my breath that long, but he's casually swimming through the kelp forest and enjoying the beauty of an environment that many of us don't get to experience, right? Would you feel comfortable in that environment? Some of you say no. But I can guarantee you, if I spent some time, or if you spent some time, if you had a desire to do this, you could get comfortable. Because any one of us that do this didn't feel comfortable initially, right? And so this process of like feeling comfortable and getting into this, it requires an intentionality. It requires a training um, that has to take place. Sorry, I totally lost my notes. Um, The joy of using an iPad. Um, Yeah, sharks are coming to eat you right now. It requires a training. It requires an intentionality. And I think with our Christian faith, it's the same exact thing. That peace doesn't just come from wanting it, from reading a verse on a screen that a pastor gave you, Um, even just, I would say, even reading your Bible. It takes an intentionality. It takes a training that has to happen from sitting in prayer, in reflection, in fellowship, um, being connected with other believers. It takes all of these disciplines to begin to see how peace begins to transform your life. And it's not unlike any other part of our lives that requires training, that requires intentionality. Um, the reason we're able to get comfortable in the ocean, diving for like a minute, 30, two minutes, whatever, is training. It's intentionality. It requires that. And our bodies are created to do this, to, to be at peace in an environment where you normally think would be chaos. Um, but it requires us harnessing those tools, um, I can get into all the details. There's a mammalian dive reflex that happens when you take your mask off and you sit in the water and cold water hits your your face. Uh, Your body automatically starts to pull from your extremities, pull the blood from your extremities. Um, There's all these little details that happen in your body that allow you to do that. But you have to be aware of it and you have to use the tools that are required to begin to, I think, take advantage of it. And I think it's the same thing in our faith. We have to use these tools that God's given us where Jesus says, be patient, right? Um, When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, like all those things, like he says, live into those, and those are practices that will begin to shape your life. Um, As you sit and pray and reflect and meditate on those things, you'll begin to see and discern between things in our world that are designed to be swords that are divisive, social media, right? They can be good. It can be a double-edged sword. Um, Or they can be something that distracts us and pulls us away from true peace and contentment and satisfaction, right? Um, Wanting more stuff, all these different things that begin to drag us away. But when we're trained by Christ, when we let him 
rule our lives. It begins to transform who we are. So this definition of peace, I want to talk about a little bit more as we talk about Old Testament, New Testament, how it's used throughout Scripture. Um, It originally starts in the garden, which is a beautiful picture of why Isaiah talks about it. In the Garden of Eden, when God created us, he created us to be at peace. The word that is used there in the, in the creation story is that we were at, uh, that it was good and that we were at peace and that there was shalom. And that word shalom is peace that's meant to be uh, harmony, wholeness, completeness, the way things were designed to be. Um, so when the Old Testament uses that term shalom, it was meant to be a certain way. And so when, he, when God talks about shalom for us, it was living in a certain way that we were created to live. So when you live in shalom and relationship with other people, you're in correct relationship, you're in whole relationship with others. When you begin to do divisive things that push others away, that's where that peace or that shalom is broken. And so we are invited to continually do that. In the New Testament, uh, the word is irene, which means to bring various parts together to form a whole or to set it as one again, to put it back to its original state that it was designed to be in. So when we have peace and when we begin to live as Christ calls us to live, we experience that peace because we are now engaged in this relationship with the one that designed us, that knows really like the ins and outs of our brain, our body, what we need to experience peace. So that's why I'm so blown away with like when you talk about a culture right now that's facing tremendous amounts of anxiety and depression. And then when you look at scripture that talks about Sabbath and the importance of Sabbath and that we need to rest, um, I don't think that those those aren't connected, right? That those are deeply interconnected truths, that God knows how we, how we need to live, that we need that rest, that we need moments of sitting and reflecting and not working and not consuming and not doing all these other things and allowing our bodies to be refreshed. And I believe that when we begin to live these truths that Scripture calls us to, we begin to experience peace, right? In a culture that needs peace like crazy, this is a truth that we get to just not only rest in, begin to live into. And so one commentary put uh, this peace, the Christian peace, is something quite independent of outward circumstances. And I thought that was a good reminder because so much of what we talk about when our culture talks about peace is it's something external. Like I need to light candles in order to have peace or I need to have a peaceful room or a space where I can be peaceful. But what the Christian faith tells us is that it has nothing to do with what's around you. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. Peace has to do with something that's inside of you that God can only bring. So chaos can be going on around you. You could be in the most insane situation, and yet God can bring peace. And that is what is so beautiful about this candle that we light. And so I hope that as we light this this week, you're reminded that This candle brings peace that is so much bigger, so much more meaningful, so much more powerful than any other thing that this world can offer. Again, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's letting him, it's inviting him in and just saying, I want you to rule every part of my life, all my decisions, everything about me. 
And so now to transition into kind of this next point that I want to make, because the second part of what we talk about when we talk about peace is so crucial. Um, so we've talked about the internal, but the external part of what we talk about when we talk about peace is also very crucial because we are not just invited to be peaceful in ourselves, but we are called to be peacemakers. This is the second part of peace that I think is super crucial, that in us finding peace, this is kind of like the evangelism piece, is kind of the part where like what God invites us to actually has meaning and substance to it to other people. And you might be like, I got friends that have no interest in becoming a Christian. This is where I think it ties in. The peace that you have will be a witness to others. And when you become a peacemaker, because of your actions and the way that you live, you get to now exemplify to others what it looks like to have peace and engage in what it means to bring peace, right? So bringing peace in a situation can be a witness to what Jesus is doing, right? When someone slaps you and does something super rude to you and you turn around and you do something nice, what does that begin to do in that situation? It de-escalates, right? It goes from, well, I'm going I'm to hit you even harder or I'm going to say something even worse or even more rude or whatever it is. It de-escalates and it begins to bring the Holy Spirit into the situation. And it begins to like demonstrate what Jesus is doing and what he invites us to, that we are called to be peacemakers. In Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is the invitation that Paul gives to the church. He says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's like, make this, again, let it rule your hearts, let it be central to who you are, like make being a peaceful community a huge priority, the number one priority in your life. He says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. This, this is so needed in our world right now, right? In a world of chaos that puts an emphasis on division and Again, the sword analogy versus the garden planting, bringing life analogy. It's so much more beautiful to bring life and plant seeds than it is to bring a sword of hatred. Swords being beaten into plowshares is what Paul talks about and it's what scripture talks about um, continually. So this participatory element is what I want to close with of us being peacemakers. Jesus talks about it on the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who bring peace to every situation you possibly can. They are the ones that are the children of God. It is not easy to do this. Am I right? <laughs> are we talking about something that's really basic and easy to do in our lives? Not at all. Peyton referenced this, uh, this concept of already and not yet last week. Uh, I've referenced before this idea that we are in a world that is broken and hurting, and we are ushering God's kingdom, and there is glimpses of beauty and love and grace and redemption all around us, but there's also brokenness and hurting and people that will do 
damaging, hurtful things, right? We live in the tension of those two things continually. So to be peacemakers is not going to be easy, but the invitation is so beautiful because the reason I stand here and the reason many of you sit here is because someone was a peacemaker in your life. Someone was a witness to what it looks like to love deeply, right? What it looks like to be patient, what it looks like to be kind, and then you're like, dude, I want more of that. Like, whatever, like, they're drinking, I'm in. You know, like, I want some of this. And we fell in love with what Jesus is doing in our lives. And I think that that is what is so beautiful about this candle again. We get to be peacemakers. We get to live out what that looks like. And hopefully, in a broken world, that's living in this tension continually, begin to demonstrate what that life looks like. Jesus said to his disciples, John 14, 27, as he sat in the upper room, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Be reminded, be encouraged that I'm with you. He continually says this even after the resurrection as he journeys with the disciples and kind of says, hey, now it's on you. You get to be the peacemakers. It's on you to carry this beautiful message. I'm with you till the end. Like there is nothing to fear. Take a deep sigh of like, God's in control. He's got this. I can trust him. I can trust that he's in control, that he's got the power to handle these situations and continue to move forward. My prayer and my hope is that we sit with this in a way that it begins to transform our lives and that it pushes us to action. I want to close with a mango analogy because I always got to close with a mango analogy, right? Um, This is not my mango analogy. This is someone else's mango analogy. But uh, I've always wanted to plant a mango tree because I love mangoes. You guys know that. Um, But a friend of mine, Jesse Sanderson, um, he is a gardener. He loves to garden, does an amazing job with his garden. Um, He and I had a conversation three years ago about planting mango trees in our yard. He took action. Guess what I did? Did not. I did not take action. I should have taken action. This is the photo he sent me three days ago, maybe four days ago. Bowls of mango and fruit and goodness from his yard. And he said he had five mangoes off of his tree. And I was like, I could have five mangoes right now. (laughs) But I did not because I did not take action. My hope is that we can be peacemakers. We can be people that take action. Because had I taken action three years ago, guess what I would have? So good. Fruit. Like, This is another one of my favorites from the season. This is a persimmon, a fuyu persimmon. They're the harder version of the persimmon. Maybe you've had like the snottier version. This is the really good one. Um, Yeah, some of you are like, I'm not a fan of that. But fruit comes from planting, training, planting, using the plowshare to create garden, right? Isaiah's invitation was plant. Do this. Live into it. Like be the kind of people that are going to create Fruit, not division, not using a sword, not using a spear, but using plowshares to garden, to create bowls of fruit that actually people go, oh, so good, so tasty, like I want more of this. Our lives will bear fruit if we begin to train and live into this. It's called spiritual disciplines. That's like a fancy way of talking about training and talking about living into what Jesus invites us into. Lectio Divina, what we do. 
when you sit in Scripture, when you pray, when you begin to live into this, we get to be peacemakers. We live this out. I want to share one last thing, and I'm going to close in prayer. This is sad news, but I think it's good news as well as it is sad, because um, many of you guys have journeyed and, and with us over the last, I don't know, seven years, um, even longer than that. This is uh, Pastor Anthony and his wife, Marietta. Pastor Anthony just passed away this week. And the sad news that I see is like, this is a man that loved God, but the good news that I see is like, looking back on his life, I see somebody who lived out love, somebody who lived out what it meant to be a peacemaker, who helped create an environment where students could learn how to sew and have a job, right? Getting chills and tearing up thinking about this, but somebody who is so generous and loving in creating environments where people could thrive and as I think of his life, I think of um, someone who created peace for others, who created wholeness, who created shalom, um, who ushered in what it looks like to be the people of God, right? To be the kind of people who love and give up of their lives so that others can experience what it means to have life and life to the full. Um, that's my hope and prayer. That's where I'm also, I'm sad, but I'm also really encouraged because I believe that we can all live into this. We can be these kind of people who are peacemakers. Sorry. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that we can be these kind of people who love, love deeply in a world that is full of challenge and division, um, difficulties, tension. Lord, I just pray that in these difficult times, Lord, um, in the times that we face where we see um, these evils take place, Lord, I pray that we could be reminded and empowered and encouraged that your Holy Spirit goes before us and that you invited us, all of us, not just as leaders, but all of us to be the kind of people who are peacemakers, who get to usher in what it looks like to be part of your kingdom, to be people who love and love deeply. Lord, uh, we thank you for people's lives like Anthony, who, who have loved like that, Lord. Um, help us to do that. Help us to do that as we leave this place today, um, as we engage in conversations opportunities to be generous, opportunities to be loving, graceful, patient, uh, work through us, God. Um, we want to be these kind of people. This is why we light the candle, the candle of peace, to be the kind of peacemakers um, that you invite us to. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you so much for your life and what you model and what you do to transform life for us. But help us to do that in other people's lives this week. And we pray this in your name. Amen.